The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. again to have Reverend Jonathan Shirk, the pastor at the Jerusalem Church, a fine um, church, Bible-believing church, and we are glad he's here tonight. He's asked me to read the scripture, so let's look at 1 Timothy, please, chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and I'll begin in that chapter with the 13th verse. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Good evening. It is my pleasure to be here with you tonight. One of the top 25 movies of 2017, grossing over $305 million globally, has a simple title. The story was taken from a a New York Times best-selling novel of the same title, which sold over 1 million copies within 18 months of its release. The title is Wonder. Wonder is a cool word. To wonder is to be filled with admiration, amazement, or awe. To wonder is to marvel. Comic books use these kinds of words. Wonder Woman or, or Marvel Comics. I went to the, the Grand Canyon and gazed at its immense beauty, and I wondered. I wondered. I couldn't wrap my brain around what I was looking at. What makes you wonder. Creation is spectacular, but it cannot create wonder in us like Scripture can. The two, they work together for sure, but God's Word is the greater of the two because in Scripture, God reveals Himself in a special and in a magnificent way to lead us to wonder. The ordinary pleasures of this world can be so distracting Why are we so often underwhelmed by God? And you may feel this tension inside of your heart, but take heart as you trust Christ, the Spirit can help you marvel at God revealed in Scripture. Living the Christian life is done with the eyes of faith fixed 
on the one true, beautiful God revealed in Scripture. And as I tell you about God this evening, I want the Holy Spirit to work faith and wonder deep within your heart. Wonder which stirs deeper affection and gratitude. Now my kids and I, maybe this is somewhat of a confession, love to to blare music in our house and dance. And Owl City is one of our favorites. And one of Owl City's songs is titled Thunderstruck, not to be confused with ACDC's Thunderstruck. But Owl City's Thunderstruck is about falling in love, but these few uh, lyrics capture an idea that, that I want to Uh, that I'm after tonight. And the lyrics go like this. They they explode. I've never felt so wide awake because I'm wonderstruck. I love how you take my breath away. I'm thunderstruck. And there it is. Oh, that our hearts would be wide awake, lucid, aware, and stunned by God. So stunned that our breath is taken away, overcome in worship by His divine glory and beauty and majesty, being wonderstruck by God, it must elicit a response, gratitude, allegiance, obedience, worship. You you just won't serve God with much enthusiasm until you're wonderstruck by Him. The reason the gospel is such great news is Because we are reconciled with a wonderful God by a wonderful Christ who escorts us into the presence of God to experience unlimited wonder and gladness for our souls. Well, Paul covers a lot about God in 1 Timothy. He taught that God is Savior, God is Father, God is blessed, God is the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, and that God deserves honor and glory forever and ever. Paul taught that God wants people to be saved and to know the truth, that there is one God and He is living and He is creator and He gives life to all things. Are you wonderstruck by God? False teachers were spreading false doctrine in the Ephesian church, luring people away from God. But Paul gave Timothy a glimpse of the greatness of God upon which every argument of his letter is built. Paul wanted to remind Timothy of the magnificence of God. I think to give urgency, confidence, and and strength to Timothy's gospel ministry In light of Christ's promised return and God's glory, Timothy could carry out his pastoral ministry with confidence and wonder. You can find confidence as well in the grandeur of God. Brothers and sisters, our our view of God is so often so small. Our hearts are often unmoved by Him. So we must look to Christ in faith and, and look deep into God's Word until the Spirit of God enlarges our view of Him and moves us to greater wonder. We need the Spirit to fill us with wonder. We begin with verses 14 and 15 to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. Jesus Christ will appear again in perfectly timed, a perfectly timed, glorious display of the Father. He, in verse 15, refers to God who will display the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God will send Jesus Christ back to earth to appear in glorious display as the victorious Lord. The Father will show off His Son in due time, and the show, dear friends, will be awe-inspiring. When? We don't know. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus Himself said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Today, 10 years, 10,000 years, maybe. Here's what we know. Jesus Christ will appear again in a perfectly timed, glorious display of the Father. And it will be marvelous. Are you ready to marvel at the coming of the King? Now, a little tip for your doctrinal and spiritual health. If some Christian writer or radio host or TV evangelist prophesies the return of Christ with a specific date and details, don't believe them. And don't send them any money. Instead, close the book or change the channel. That's my recommendation. Our crucified and risen Lord of glory will appear again. He'll judge the living and the dead. And let's leave the timing to God. And yet let's be ready with our hearts filled with wonder. We don't know when, but we know what to do until then. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. The return of Christ added urgency to Paul's charge to Timothy, and it adds urgency to our lives and urgency to our churches. Keeping the commandment unstained and free from reproach is doctrinal, behavioral, and doxological. Our doctrine must be pure. Our behavior must be pure. Our worship must be pure. Verses 15 and 16 are meant to leave you wonderstruck by God, to lead you to doxology, to glory speech. So let me tell you a bunch of things about God. First, God is supremely blessed. Paul said, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. Blessedness is inherent to God's being. Well, what does it mean for God to be blessed? Well, Jesus used the same word for blessed in his famous sermon on the mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And so forth. Blessedness is supreme happiness. Supreme happiness. In verse 15, blessed means God is totally and utterly happy and content and satisfied in Himself. He needs nothing outside of Himself to be happy. Now think about that very carefully. If God is perfectly blessed, happy, content, and satisfied with Himself, imagine what God can do to bless you with Himself. Let me summarize verses 11 and 16 this way. Your happiness in living out the Christian life and serving God is entirely dependent upon a happy God making you happy in His Son. Second, God is the only sovereign. This is a a big point. Paul said, He who is the blessed and only sovereign only expresses exclusivity exceptionality, excellence. God is not only the blessed sovereign, He is the only sovereign. God is the only ruler or potentate, a a statement of God's supreme power and control. 
Now, it was risky for Paul to write this considering that Nero was emperor. Caesar was considered sovereign. Rome was considered sovereign. But with unashamed doxology, Paul claimed the exclusive sovereign might and rule of God. Caesar and every world leader exists beneath God's absolute sovereignty. Deuteronomy 10.17 calls God the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Psalm 47.8 says God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. Psalm 99 verse 1 adds the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. God is exclusively sovereign and He reigns. Much theology today makes God look small and impotent, and it places man at the center. But here, Paul rightly championed the greatness and centrality of God. When you hear professing Christians say things like, God is sovereign, yes, but that doesn't mean He's in control. And when you see professing Christians publish books with titles like God is not in control, which contain four words claiming that the idea of God being in control of everything originated from pagan philosophy. You, brothers and sisters, can stand firm on the authority of God's word and say, no, 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 God is sovereign, therefore he is undoubtedly in control. And it is good for me and you that he is. A professor at the Wake Forest University School of Divinity said this, quote, I do not believe that God is in control of everything that happens in our world. Indeed, I would argue that God controls very, very little of what happens in our world, end of quote. It's baffling to me that people who invest their lives studying Scripture and theology work so hard to eradicate the security of God's absolute sovereignty, which gives His people such deep comfort and hope. God's omnipotence and control and sovereignty are all inspiring and at the same time, deeply comforting, assuring. Are you wonderstruck by the limitless power and control of God. Because God is the only sovereign, our salvation is irreversible, our suffering is meaningful, our prayers are impactful, and our evangelism is hopeful. God's sovereignty is not a trivial matter debated in classrooms and published literature, but rather a deeply personal and a, and a deeply comforting attribute of God that increases our confidence in Him. Paul's next line only advances God's absolute sovereignty. Third, God is the King of kings. Psalm 47 verse 7 says, For God is the King of all the earth. Psalm 95 verse 3 adds, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. When Paul said God is King of kings, he was saying God is King of those who reign as kings. Take all of the kings who reign as kings and God reigns above those kings. Jesus taught us to pray to God our Father. That's a very intimate prayer. Yet how cool is it that our Father is the King of kings? We love Him for His preeminent reign. 
Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. And that means a whole lot more to us because our Father reigns over the kingdom of all kingdoms. And our Father, the King of kings, has determined that we will reign with Christ, the King, in His kingdom. Are these not unfathomable blessings, brothers and sisters, for us who marvel at God in true faith? Now, how many of you, a little show of hands here, could make one call and get access to the the President of the United States? Anybody in here? That would be really interesting. All right, I I doubt that. I, I doubt that any of us will ever even meet the President of the United States. But you know, if we had... One of us in our midst here had direct access to the president. That would be impressive. We'd be impressed by that. We'd want to hear your stories about how that works when you call the president. Are you so wonderstruck by the king of kings that having immediate access to him through Christ is astonishing for you? And when I was a kid, I passed Charles Barkley... Some of you might know the NBA, former NBA, but I passed Charles, the Charles Barkley at a celebrity golf tournament, and I said to him as he drove by me in the cart, hey, Charles, and he said to me, hey, man, and I thought that was awesome. As a kid, that was, that was like, that was Charles Barkley. That's incredible. Now, why are we so often underwhelmed by the King of Kings warmly welcoming us? Is he not more than basketball stars, more than musicians, more than authors, more than celebrities, and more than superheroes? Brothers and sisters, the greatest thing that we have going for us in our lives is our place in God's kingdom. Eternal life is eternal fellowship with the King of Kings. Are you wonderstruck by the King of Kings and his acceptance and love of you in Christ? Saints, we... We should respond exactly as David did in Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Well, Paul goes on, fourth, God is the Lord of lords. He is the Lord of those who rule as lords. A kurios or Lord is a master or owner of an estate who has complete control over the affairs of that estate. God owns and runs everything. Take every master, every chief, every ruler, commander, bishop, captain, governor, noble, aristocrat, everyone that we think is important and powerful, take them all and God is the Lord of them all. His supreme lordship is directly connected to His eternal love for us and our gratitude in Him. Psalm 136 verse 3 says, Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now why would we do that? For His steadfast love endures forever. Brothers and sisters, the Lord of all lords will love you forever. And so I think we should be grateful. Oh, so grateful for His love. Wonder of wonders. Verse 15 is about God's absolute sovereignty. The blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Does does that verse do something in you? 
Does that verse create wonder in you? Now, John MacArthur and I differ on significant points of theology, yet I've admired the man for years, and I've learned a lot from him, and I've even hugged him one time at a conference, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, MacArthur gets the sovereignty of God right. And I want you to really think about what MacArthur said about God's sovereignty. He said, The sovereignty of God is the most encouraging and comforting doctrine in all of Scripture. An understanding of it removes the anxiety from life. It also gives the man of God courage and spiritual duty and willingness to face any danger. God is never surprised, nor is His will ever frustrated. He says in Isaiah 46, 11, Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Because He is in total control, there is no need to worry, to compromise, to equivocate, or to manipulate to achieve a goal. End of quote. And MacArthur is exactly right. Saints, God's sovereignty was Timothy's bedrock for gospel ministry. It empowered him. He needed to face false teachers, which is very, very hard to do. And he could face them with gospel poise and confidence because God is sovereign. God's sovereignty compelled Timothy to confront and contend, yet comforted and consoled Timothy in his ministry. God's sovereignty adds urgency to Paul's words. Paul had aggressive words for Timothy. It was a rigorous path that he was calling him to. So Timothy needed to be reminded of God's glory and sovereignty, which served as anchors for his soul as he led the Ephesian church in upholding God's truth. Saints, God's sovereignty can relieve your anxiety as well as comfort you along the way. Deeply comforting. Deeply. And there's, there's even more. Fifth, God alone has immortality. This is mind-boggling. God possesses immortality. Deathlessness is inherent to God's being. Unlike the Titanic, God is forever unsinkable. Immortality is, is fascinating. It's been the theme of many movies, And books, beauty, and health products aim for it. Even science is preoccupied with immortality. Russian billionaire Dmitry Itzkov has promised to bring us, might be interested in this, cybernetic immortality by the year 2045. He actually said back in 2015, quote, within the next 30 years, I am going to make sure that we can all live forever. I'm 100% confident it will happen. Otherwise, I wouldn't have started it. Okay. Dr. Aubrey de Grey, international adjunct professor of the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, claims he has a roadmap to defeat biological aging. This is good news. And, and he proposes that the first human beings to live for a thousand years have already been born and is optimistic that humans will scientifically decipher immortality. People want immortality, and yet they divorce it from God who alone possesses immortality. Some may foolishly think that evolution will advance humanity into immortality. We just need to figure out the science. But that worldview overlooks three basic truths. 
God exists, God alone possesses immortality, and God said, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Newsflash, we are all going to die, and science is not our source of eternal life. John Calvin made a great point about verse 16. He said this, Accordingly, he now says that God alone is immortal in order to inform us that we and all the creatures do not, strictly speaking, live, but only borrow life from Him. We borrow life from God. And our lives cannot be extended past the boundaries demarcated by His sovereign will. Science cannot override God's sovereign decrees. Well, aren't we also immortal? Yes, but not in the way that God is. He has created us immortal souls and our immortality originates from God alone who possesses immortality in and of Himself. Unlike our immortality, God's immortality has no origin, beginning, or source. And we would do well to understand that our immortal existence will be either eternal pain apart from Christ or eternal joy united to Christ. This concept of God's immortality is infinitely amazing. And yet we so often find ourselves bored with God. How can this be? Many people prefer science fiction immortality to the reality of God's immortality. God is better than science fiction. Are you wonderstruck? Even more, six, God dwells in unapproachable light. God dwells in unapproachable light. I I understand the unapproachable light to be the light of His blazing glory. The Apostle John told us that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. The light of the glory of God is so pure, so glorious, so intense that mortals cannot approach Him. When you enter the bathroom in the morning, I think this truth is likely often illustrated for you in a small way. Uh, Above the mirror in our bathroom, we have four lights. And uh, the light bulbs, they range from about 750 to 1,050 lumens. And when I go from my dark bedroom into the bathroom and I hit the light switch, my eyes instinctively squint. Now, why would that happen? Four wimpy light bulbs and I'm squinting. How dangerously glorious then is the light of God. In our sinful state, His resplendence is deadly. The comfort of the gospel is that God is graciously purging from us the sin which hinders us in order that we may see Him, that we may see the beatific vision of God. He is making us ready, dear saints, to step into His eternal light. And does this move you That there is something so marvelous that you and I are not ready to see it yet. In fact, we could not see it now and live. This next point may seem for some people equivalent to seeing unicorns or Sasquatch or something like that. But in reality, it's logical. Considering the invisibility, immensity, and intensity of God. Seventh, God has never been seen nor is anyone able to see Him. 
John 1.18 confirms that no one has ever seen God. Moses only saw the back of God's glory. God told Moses, man shall not see me and live. Have you ever seen something so gloriously intense and beautiful that the moment that you saw it, you died? Well, I don't think so. You're sitting here tonight. That probably hasn't happened. Some people, they're, they're the type of people that say, I'll believe it when I see it. They reject God in part because they can't see him and they don't take Jesus' word for it, who has seen him. John Calvin answered this objection by saying, quote, it exceeds our capacity. Calvin said, for the reason why we do not see it is that our sight is not so keen as to ascend to so great a height. Our eyes are keen to see many, many beautiful things in this life, but there is supreme beauty so enrapturing and so dangerous that we cannot see it and live. But dear brothers and sisters, dear saints, we are being prepared by Jesus to one day see God in the splendor of his beauty with the new sight of the soul. Jonathan Edwards said, quote, the soul is capable of seeing God more immediately and more certainly and more fully and gloriously than the eye of the body is. And Edwards said, this vision of God is the chief bliss of heaven. The chief bliss of heaven is seeing God. And this is why he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In that day, God will make you ready to see the chief bliss of heaven. There is beauty today that is hidden from me, yet beauty that Christ has redeemed me to see, thus wonderstruck in beauty forever I'll be. Paul ends his doxology with these words. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And this is similar to Paul's doxology in chapter 1, verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, God deserves all glory. All honor. He deserves our reverence. He deserves our esteem. He deserves our admiration. He deserves our awe. God is so magnificent that if we are not wonderstruck by His greatness, we dishonor Him. The way to honor God is to be so wonderstruck by Him that you live for Him in deep gratitude for His grace and the power of His Spirit. Also, God possesses eternal dominion. That is God's eternal power, His eternal might, His eternal strength. Once again, Paul returns to God's absolute sovereignty. God possesses the power and the right in and of Himself to govern and control everything. Dominion is exclusively His. Why? Revelation 4.11 answers, Worthy are you, our, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You exist because God wills you to exist. Eternal dominion is His. One more tiny but significant word, Amen. Amen is not an irrelevant word tacked on to the end of prayers just to clue everybody in that the, the prayer is now done. 
That's not what that's for. Amen means it is certain. It is true. It punctuates Paul's doxology to emphasize the certainty of what Paul just wrote. Here's the point. This is all gloriously true and meant to leave you wonderstruck. God truly is blessed. He truly is the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He truly and exclusively possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. And it is true that no one has ever seen Him or can see Him. It is true that to God belongs honor and eternal dominion. It is all true. It is all certain. The word amen is God's divine and authoritative seal on what Paul wrote. It's not fiction. It's not wishful thinking. This is all entirely true and entirely mind-boggling. Are you wide awake to the glory of God? Does He take your breath away? Are you wonderstruck by God? And I hope that you are, brothers and sisters. May God excite wonder in you through His Word, through Christ. And I want to leave you with one simple thought. How do we know this amazing God well enough to be wonderstruck by Him? The answer is simple. Only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't work yourself into wonder. God reveals Himself to you graciously, and then you wonder. If you want to make absolutely sure that you will see this glorious and happy God to ensure you will delight in His splendor forever, you must repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, trusting Him to lead you, oh brothers and sisters, to lead you to God who will blow your mind forever. Trust Jesus when He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is your exclusive means by which you see God. Trust Christ. Trust Christ to lead you to the blessed and only sovereign. And when He receives you on that glorious day into His glorious and and beautiful and overwhelming presence, I promise you this. Two things, dear people of God. One, you will not be disappointed. And two, you will be entirely wonderstruck by God forever. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for your clear word to us. I pray that as your people, we would worship you with wonder and awe in spirit and in truth. Impress upon us your sovereignty and your goodness and your blessedness, your bigness, your power, your might, your goodness, your loveliness, your beauty. And God, may your people be wonderstruck by you. We need you to work your grace, your spirit in us. So lead us, God, to respond to your beauty and your glory with praise and worship. All for the glory of your Son. Amen. God bless you.